Hear the word of God from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. You can find this reading on page 848 in the Pew Bible. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galilean whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. If God is all-loving, and if God is all-powerful, then why is there suffering and evil in the world? How's that for a fun, light-hearted question to start the morning? It's the classic way that we think about the toughest question in all of Christian belief. And if we're going to do a worship series called Getting Unstuck, we have to tackle this one. It is the question that gets us the most stuck in all of our Christian faith. What is God's relationship to suffering and evil? There have likely been moments when you have wrestled with this question yourself. In the wake of some international tragedy or some senseless act of violence, there may be some of us here in the sanctuary or watching online in our pajamas who are wrestling with this question right now amid your own personal crises in your life or in the life of someone you love. I think part of what makes this question so challenging is that since childhood, we have learned about the relationship between cause and effect, right? That things happen because something caused them to happen. And that everything that happens has an effect. That's what we've come to believe. And so it is that the biggest problem that we have with the question of suffering and evil is when we can't discern the cause. Or we have no way to blame or no fault to be found. Just ask the onlookers in today's scripture reading in Luke 13. They're asking those questions. They're pressing Jesus for answers. They are the ones who just saw two major news headlines cross their Twitter feed. The first headline had to do 
with a brutal massacre of some innocent worshipers who were simply observing a religious worship experience. It's almost as if Luke 13.1 was lifted straight out of our own headlines, out of a Muslim mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand. And then the other headline they were asking Jesus about was from the town of Siloam. And they'd heard about a big tower in that city that had crashed and killed 18 people. It's interesting, I looked in my personal sermon archives this past week, and it turns out that the last time I preached on Luke 13 was 18 years ago on September 9th, 2001, just two days before 9-11. Whether we're talking about mass violence or tragic disasters, the question that we ask is the hardest three-letter question of them all. Why? Why? That's what these onlookers were asking Jesus. Why did this happen, Jesus? What, what was the cause? We need to find the blame and the fault. Was it their fault, Jesus? Tell us. Was it because they sinned? Was it because these, these people weren't so innocent after all? Did they do something wrong? Did these people deserve it? Tell us, Jesus. Because if you tell us that they sinned, then it'll make sense. Then it'll fit into our little cause and effect scheme. What was the cause here, Jesus? The way they asked the question of Jesus was pretty direct. Did they sin? Did they deserve it? What's interesting is, that Jesus begins his answer to that tough three-letter question with a pretty clear two-letter response. No. No. No, they didn't deserve it. Which makes us wonder if what Jesus is saying is that somehow there was no cause. Is Jesus really saying here that sometimes bad things just happen to us? And we know, obviously, that there are times, there are times when our suffering is caused by our bad choices. We know very well that our sins often do catch up to us, and they do have consequences. But you know what? The kind of suffering that Jesus is talking about here is the suffering for which there is no easy cause. Jesus is acknowledging that sometimes... Even innocent people do suffer. Now, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, today is a sit-together Sunday, which means that our Sunday school volunteers are given a Sunday off so that our Sunday school kids could be with us in worship. And I, I, we planned this topic months in advance, not realizing that together that today was a sit-together Sunday. And I can't think of a more fun, child-friendly, light-hearted sermon topic than the problem of suffering and evil. So welcome, kids. What a brilliant bit of worship planning on our part. Which made me think about one of the most classic children's books ever written. It's written by a woman named Judith Vorst. He writes a story about a little boy named Alexander, a boy who had a pretty bad day. And in, in fact, the title is even worse than that, Alexander and the Terrible 
horrible, no good, very bad day. I suspect that some of the kids here in the sanctuary have read it. I suspect that many of the big kids in the sanctuary have lived it. You may know the story very well. It's about a little elementary school-aged boy named Alexander. And the book starts with what I think is one of the best and longest sentences ever written in all of children's literature. This is Alexander with the very first sentence in the story. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's just the first sentence, and it gets worse from there. (laughs) Poor Alexander gets embarrassed at school when the teacher likes everyone else's schoolwork but his. And then at lunchtime, he opens up his lunchbox and realizes that he's the only one at the lunch table who doesn't have dessert in his lunchbox. He gets rejected by his best friend. Later, he takes a trip to the dentist, and he is the only family member with a cavity. He injures his foot. He falls in some mud. He gets in trouble at his dad's office, and he's just getting started. He has lima beans for dinner. He hates lima beans. He is forced to wear his railroad train pajamas to bed. He hates those pajamas. And to top it all off, he is rejected by his cat. And in the end of the story, the very last thing that Alexander hears are words from his mother, who comes to his room, and Alexander said, My mom says that some days are like that. And that's how the story ends. What a happy book that is, that Alexander. (laughs) Just imagine all of us parents reading this story to our kids as they go to sleep and kissing them goodnight and saying, sweet dreams, kid, that's life. (laughs) Why is this story so popular? What was in Judith Vorst's mind when she wrote the book and finished it that way, it could be that she is echoing, in some ways, the conclusion of Jesus himself. Because what Jesus was trying to tell those onlookers that day is that sometimes there is no cause to the effect. Sometimes, like it or not, it rains on both the sinners and the saints. Sometimes there is no blame to be placed or fault to be found. And yeah, that's, that can be troubling to hear. But when you think about it, what would the alternatives be? What are the other ways that this story could have ended? I suppose that Alexander's mom could have come into the room at the end of the story and kissed her son goodnight and used one of those you know, popular Christian cliches that we hear every now and then. Oh, Alexander, everything happens for a reason. Good night, kid. Or, um, Alexander, when God closes one door, he opens another. Sweet dreams. Or my favorite one of all, 
oh, Alexander, look out the window. Do you see that single pair of footprints in the sand? Good night. I suppose that Alexander's mom could have taken another approach and ended the story with the nihilist ending. That's a popular one these days. Oh, Alexander, life is meaningless. <laughs> don't, don't overthink it, kid. Suffering's a part of life. Go to bed, sweet dreams. Or maybe Alexander's mom would have chosen the most popular current approach, the agnostic or atheist response. You see, Alexander, this kind of day just proves that God doesn't exist, that God is absent from your life. Now, that's not what Jesus was saying at all. That is not the alternative that Jesus was talking about. What did Jesus really say? After he gave that initial two-letter response of no, what else did he say? If, if suffering can't always be explained by our choices, then what do we do with our suffering? That's the question that Jesus really wanted to answer. And so he does. He says, no, but I tell you that unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Wow, now that's an important response, and it's a profound response, because what Jesus is really saying here, the question that he's really answering is this. He said, our suffering is not always caused by our choices, but our suffering always causes us to make a choice. Let me say that again. Our suffering may not always be caused by our choices, but our suffering always causes us to make a choice. In other words, suffering happens to the best of us. Just because you are a follower of Jesus, it does not make you immune to suffering. But the chief question for Jesus is this, what are you going to do with that suffering? Will you choose to use that suffering to fight injustice and help someone else in need. I think that's the conclusion that Jesus comes to. And, and the evidence for that, the, the reason that I think that's what Jesus is saying is because Jesus then tells a story of his own. He tells this fanciful little parable. Did you hear it as part of the scripture today? He tells the story of a fig tree. It's an owner of a fig tree who has fed up gotten fed up with the fact that this fig tree is no longer producing fruit. No more figs coming out of this tree. So the owner says to the gardener, look, I've had it with this fig tree. I want you to cut it down. It's worthless to me. But then the gardener intercedes, pleads on behalf of the fig tree. And he says to the owner, I'll tell you what, just give this fig tree a little more time. I'll tell you what, just, just give me a year, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my shovel, and I'm going to go to the base of that tree, and I'm going to dig down into the soil, down near the roots of this tree, all around it, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take manure. I'm going to take filth 
foul excrement, waste. In other words, I'm going to take the suffering of this life and I'm going to plant it into this ground and I'm going to let that manure be transformed into fertilizer. I'm going to let that suffering be transformed into nutrients so that this tree, this, this lifeless, pointless, worthless tree can start to bear fruit again. And the implication is that that's just what happened. That this fig tree took the manure of its life and transformed it into fruit. And for Jesus, that's the more important question. Will you take the manure of your life and bear fruit for the gardener, for the owner, for other people in need? You know, we could, we could get all caught up in exhausting mental gymnastics to try to figure out what causes innocent people to suffer and, and why God would allow it. It's an impossible question to answer. And you know what? For Jesus, it's not even the most important question to answer. The most important question to answer is this. What will you do with your suffering? Will you use it to fight injustice? Will you use it to help other people? Which brings us back to Judith Vorst, the author of Alexander and That Bad Day. Turns out that she wrote that book for her son named Alexander. Tell him that story every night, actually, before he goes to bed on those days that he'd have bad days. But she also wrote it for herself to help her think about the suffering in her own life. She's still alive. She's 80 years old. This past week, I read an interview with her, and the interviewer asked her this question, tell us, what's the most important lesson you've ever learned from your own suffering? And I love her answer. This is what she said. You're never too old to try to fix the world. You belong to the generation that once marched for peace and freedom, but the world is now a wreck, and you now need to do, we all need to do, whatever we are able to do to repair it. Do it for your grandchildren. Do it for everyone's grandchildren. And do it out of love and respect for the riches, the good stuff offered to us by the world basically what Jesus was saying to those onlookers. It's not a matter of what caused your suffering. It's a matter of what you'll choose to do with it. I love the way Richard Rohr said it. He said it most profoundly of all. He said, we can do one of two things with our suffering. We can transmit it, or we can have God transform it. We can perpetuate our suffering by, by transmitting it, by inflicting it on other people, by making other people's lives worse, or we can have God transform that suffering so that through it we can be a blessing to others. In the end, that is God's relationship to suffering and evil, to help us transform it into something that can bear fruit for other people in the world, other people in need. And you want to know why it is that we believe that? You want to see the single most important piece of evidence that that's what God does with suffering? Well, I have one more image to show you. It's the biggest image in the sanctuary. Always is. It's that. It's the cross. 
If you ever want evidence for what God can do in suffering and what God can do through you to help other people in need, then just remember what happened on that cross. God took the greatest symbol for human suffering and evil in the Roman world. God took the very means for torture and human violence, and God transformed it. God became a human being in the form of Jesus to take on all of the suffering of the world so that in Jesus it could be transformed, and through Jesus all of us could live. A lot of times in life, we do not choose our suffering, but we always get to choose what we do with it. Jesus makes that very clear in these, in these nine verses in Luke 13. Choose to use that suffering to help someone else in need. I wonder, I wonder if somewhere down the road, you're going to meet someone who will be going through exactly the kind of suffering that you are going through right now. And could it be that in that moment, you will be a blessing to that person because you chose to use your suffering to help others? I wonder if through the process of senseless tragedy and acts of violence in the world and through your own suffering, you have become stronger so that you could rise up with passion and intensity and fight the injustices of this world to help those who are being oppressed. And if right now you are in the midst of suffering and you see no way out, I wonder, no, I, I, I more than wonder, I know that God is raising up someone who will cross paths with you, who has been through what you are going through and will be a blessing to you because of their choice to use their suffering. That's the way it works. That's what God tells us in the cross. That even when all of life seems lost, it never is. And God can use those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad, good Fridays and transform them to bear fruit for others. Let's pray together. God, we come to you humbly acknowledging that all of us suffer. There is no immunity from it. Sinners or saints alike, we are all prone to tragedy and senseless suffering. But that is not proof of your absence. It is not an indicator of your non-existence, it is an opportunity for you to prove yourself as one who transforms our suffering into good. So we lift up to you our powerlessness and our hopelessness. We choose not to surrender to it, but we choose to surrender it to you. We choose to use our suffering to become agents of justice and compassion for others in the world. Just as you did in Christ on the cross for the world. Bless us in our interactions with others. May we, re may we receive from others the help that we need and share with others that love that only our own suffering could produce. 
We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And let all God's people said, amen. And so as an act of commitment and an acknowledgement of our dependence on Jesus, we invite you to offer the goodness of your gifts, your financial contributions, your prayer cards, your joys and concerns, as well as the commitments of your hearts as we invite the ushers to come forward at this time.